A mystery is something that's impossible to understand or explain. We even have television shows like Unsolved Mysteries in which an unsolved crime or event is reenacted and then the viewers are invited and encouraged to provide any information that might lead us to solving the unexplainable. There's a mystery that God has kept hidden for thousands of years but has revealed it to us those of us who are in a united relationship with Jesus Christ by faith in him his substitutionary death in our place on the cross his glorious resurrection and his exaltation to the right hand of the Father this mystery is the mystery of salvation and in particular in the section of scripture that we're looking at today of the book of Ephesians it's that aspect of the plan of God that mystery that is revealed by God telling us that everything will be united in Christ and that Christ will be the point of everything he will be the center of it all the ruler the Lord who reigns over every single element of the universe and of all of eternity this is the mystery that Christ is the center of it all and today we learn a little bit how the followers of Christ are included in that great plan the mysterious plan of God that he's revealed to us so if you have your Bibles you're looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, we're gonna try our best to get verses 9 through 14 today which you realize is a large section for Pastor Tim to do something with in a short period of time but I will make best use of your time and uh, hopefully encourage you in your walk with the Lord and also hopefully we can hear from the Lord about what it means to be in Christ and for those who are outside of Christ not in a relationship with him by surrendered faith in him then you will understand and know what it means to know him and then what the results are of knowing him the mystery of his will is our topic today and uh, if I had to do this outline over I probably would have said something like the mystery of God's plan the mystery of God's predestination the mystery of God's possession but I don't have time to do it over because we already have it on the screen and if it's on the screen it's the law the Medes and Persians friends and so we got it so here we go so I want us to look first of all God's plan for us in Christ so look at verses 9 and 10 now we back up just a hair in verse 8 and so it gives us a little uh, run and start and talks about God's grace the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us see that in verse 8 and then in all wisdom and insight so that's important to understand so that when we get to verse 9 that it says making known to us so you understand that God by his grace has given those who are followers of Jesus this wisdom and insight and it is through that that he can make known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth God's plan in Christ now his plan includes a couple of components here that are uh, highlighted for us this is not all of God's plan in in exhaustion uh, Paul takes three chapters and still doesn't exhaust the topic but we're getting a taste of it and so what you see is the revelation of the unknown God's plan in Christ 
includes the revelation of the unknown, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. The mystery of his will. The Father's will there is spoken of and the Father's will is his desire. And so the Father has a desire. And so when we look at his purpose, it speaks of his purpose here. According to his purpose, it says. And so the purpose, his purpose is his intelligent and wise determination. That's what the word means. His purpose, his intelligent and wise determination. But notice that this intelligent and wise determination of God is derived from and coded with and motivated by his desire. And what is his desire? That his son would be the center of all things. That all of the universe and even all of eternity would center around Jesus Christ. And that those who would make Christ their Lord and King would be included in the benefits of what God will do in his plan and his purpose according to his will. That's what this is about. Now we have a place in it, but we don't cause it. One thing that we have to remind ourselves, we read the book of Romans and we read the book of Ephesians, is the topic is God's grace. It's never what we've earned. It's never what we deserve. It's God's grace. And so he's including the saints, he's including the followers of Jesus in the benefits of making Christ the center, the Lord of all. So the revelation of the unknown. It is God. Notice it's God who reveals it, making known to us. We're spiritually ignoramuses. We are heavenly morons. We do not have the ability. If you think people understand the spiritual things of the Bible, go talk to somebody. The most intelligent people can't figure this out. They, they, and they read it and they, it makes no sense. They're like, okay. And it just makes no sense. Why? Because these things are revealed. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because it is not flesh that has revealed these things to you, but my Father in heaven. When we would know who Christ is, the Lord of all, the very Son of the living God, knowing that is a revelation of God. It is not something that you learn in the classroom. So here we have God revealing this mystery, His purpose. His intelligent and wise determination is coded with, it's motivated by, it's saturated with His desire. And it is God who reveals, it's not man who discovers, it's God who reveals. And God decides to explain it to whom He will. God's plan in Christ, it includes the revelation of the unknown. But also the restoration of the universe. Verse 10 speaks of this. It's a plan for the fullness of time. To do what? Here's, the, here's, his, here's what his, his, he's doing. To unite all things in him. Does the world need to be united? Does our country need to be united? Let me tell you something. You can't be united around something that has no power. Human principles are fine, but depraved humans know how to twist them. So there's no uniting. People get on to me all the time like, you, you, you won't unite with other Christians. I will if they're truly in Christ. I don't want to just hear them mumble Jesus on their lips. I want to feel the white heart conviction that they're in Christ. 
That they'll stand against the foolishness of this world, even that which saturates our very community, the spiritual darkness and ignorance in which we live. Instead of trying to play nice with it all the time and coddle it and want to be accepted. You know what's going on with preachers now? You know what the problem is? They want to be accepted by everybody. They're so stinking frail that they want to be accepted by everybody. Oh, they, they want the mayor to approve. Oh, they, they want the sheriff to approve. They want the banker to approve. They want the real estate agents to approve. They want everybody that's involved on, on the cover of Great Seal Living to approve of them. And we go around and grovel at the feet of these people, the world, and act as if we have nothing better. I don't need BLM to approve. I don't need it. I don't need the Republican Party to approve. Our acceptance is with Christ. We don't live in order to please men. We live to please Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. That's how we live. And we have here the mystery of all of these things that it's going to be united in Him. And so if it's going to be united in Him, the best thing for us to do as Christians is to rally around Him. He says it's a plan. It's a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in Him. The plan for the fullness of time to do what? To unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. The plan for the fullness of time. The word time here is kairos. Now, you probably have heard that word before somewhere. You'll see some youth ministries will use the word. You know, nobody knows what it means. Usually the youth minister doesn't know how to say it correctly. Is Pastor Joe here today? Where is he? I got a love on him. Where is he? Where he's probably working. Good. Pastor Joe knows how to say it right. But what, what does it mean? The meaning here is, is this what the scripture is conveying. That this plan has come to the forefront of history at an epic moment in time. Did you know that you're living in a new era? This is the era of the king. You say, well, it doesn't look like it. Oh, but it is. This is the era of the king. This is the era. There was an epic moment in time. It was called Bethlehem. And then it culminated in an epic moment in time called Calvary. And then it was verified by an epic moment in time called the resurrection. And from that point on, we are now living in the day of the Lord. And this is the day of the Lord. You say, well, it doesn't look like it, Pastor. Oh, but it is. Those who would follow the dragon will be following the dragon. But those who would follow the king will follow the king. It's a dividing point in time. Jesus didn't come to bring unity. He came to bring division. And he, the king is now doing that. And he's gathering citizens for his kingdom. And he's wetting his sword and preparing to slay the dragon. That's the epic that we're in. Let the world do what it will. Let them follow the devil. Let them do it. If that's what they're bound and determined to do, let them do it. Because our king has already established his throne. It's not in danger. His plan in no way has to be reinvented. God never has to go back to the drawing board. He never has to look at his blueprint for eternity and go, uh-oh, miscalculated. 
never ever. God has said of his son, I have established my king on the throne. And the nations will bow to him. All around we see things that are out of sync, don't we? The world feels off. Those of you that used to do some work, uh, mechanic work, before they started slapping computers on everything and now you're afraid to touch it, afraid that if you do, it may cause a nuclear war somewhere, so you're just kind of... But you remember the days when it was just a car and it just ran? You remember that? You know, just, I mean, simple, just you have a battery, <laughs> you have a starter, and you have an ignition, you know, just bam, there you go. But you could, you could feel when something wasn't right. If that engine was out of time a little bit, you could feel it. And you feel that kind of thing in this world right now. It seems like the timing is off. It's, it, it feels like somebody's got, got the, the cam just off a little bit. It's like the pistons are not firing just right. It, it's like missing something. And we keep trying to put different fuel in it. And every, the problem is that sin is a chaotic force. It takes the world and it takes humanity and it throws it off. It gets it out of sync with God. And we see that in our world. There's mindless suffering. There is apparently unnecessary calamity. There's senseless violence. How do you explain the loss, the, all the people that lost their homes down south last week uh, in Alabama and Georgia? They lost their homes simply because they were doing nothing but watching television. And here comes tornado and just rips everything they've ever worked for to pieces. And we look at these things and we say to ourselves, why? Why does God allow all of this to continue? Interesting how we like to use God to keep us comfortable, but we don't want to use God to live a life of obedience now, isn't it? But here's the answer. It's interesting that we each want our own sin, but we don't want others to have their sin because it affects us. At this point in time, the world is rejecting Jesus as king and ruler. That's what's going on. And Jesus is the center. Jesus is the coordinating point of all things. He is the one that upholds everything by the power of his word. But at the present time, God is allowing humanity to a certain point to do things our own way. We don't want God, so God says have at it to a certain point. And this is the reason that there's chaos. This is the reason that there's, there's senseless circumstances. I remember when Julie and I were young married people. I have to say that because I realize when you get older, you don't know what year that was. But I, I remember still. I'm still good. But we came to that point in our lives. We you know, started a career and all those things. So we wanted to have kids. And we couldn't have children. And we're like, God... And I remember something came on the news about some person down in Miami that had a child and threw it in the dumpster, threw a baby in the dumpster. And I remember my wife is crying out to God and saying, we won't throw the kid in the dumpster, God. I promise we won't. Give us one. But no, silence from heaven. And it makes no sense. 
and young ladies uh, marching to the abortion clinic to have the lives of unborn children terminated. And here are Christian parents without a child. And you ask yourself, why? God, why, why is it this way? The reason is because things are out of sync. There's chaos. Senseless circumstances. Things that don't make sense. Young people die. It doesn't make sense. However, here's the thing. The mystery is that the day is coming in which all things will be brought under the Lordship of Jesus. With Jesus being the center of all. Then the universe and eternity will be healed. It will be whole. But not until then. The scripture tells us now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But let's boil this down to each and every individual here. Your life and my life is either ordered or in chaos according to the level of obedience to Jesus. You look at the world out there and say, oh my, how terrible it is out there. Why? Because Jesus is not the point. Jesus is not the center. Jesus is not all in all to those people. How terrible it is. Turn the TV off. Open the Bible and look inward. You and I are that. It's not so much that it demonstrates or manifests itself in the same thing. But the disorder in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own soul is, is equal to, proportionally equal to the lack of obedience to Jesus. The closer our lives are with Jesus central in everything, not just an addition, not just a compartment, but central to all things, the more our lives are ordered. When we have Jesus somewhere else besides the center, then our lives are disordered. That's the teaching here. But eventually everyone, everything, how, how much? The Bible, look, look how wide this is. That the Bible says that he will unite, how much? All things in him. Hell will be run according to Jesus. The demons will function according to Jesus. All of heaven will be ordered around Jesus. Why do you think it is in the book of the Revelation we see those beings with the, the, you know, the wild ones with the, with the eyes and the wings and stuff? I mean, that would make me run from the throne, right? And so why, they're hovering around the throne. Why? Because Christ is the center. He's all. He's everything. If there's one dream that you should have for your Christian life, it would be this, that Christ would be central in all things. Not something that you add on on Sundays and forget about the rest of the week. Not as if he's a compartment that is the spiritual side, but now you have to do the other side. He should be central at work. He should be central in sports. He should be central in school. He should be all in all in every single thing in our lives. The closer you get to that, the more ordered your life will be. God's plan in Christ is simply this, to unite all things in him. That's the secret. That's the plan. All things being united in Him. My best advice for you and for me is this. Be united to Him now rather than being forced 
to be united to his plan, but not in a good relationship with him. God's plan in Christ. Now, God predestines in Christ as well. Go ahead and wiggle, all you free will Baptists, go ahead. In him, the Bible says in verse 11, now look at this part. We're talking about the mystery of his will. And, and there's nothing quite as defeating as a pastor to stand up here and try to explain something that's unexplainable. No, I'm going to utterly fail, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's just the way it is. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, here we have God predestines in Christ as the mystery of his will. His plan is to unite all things in Christ. And then God predestines in Christ. Now, what is the riches of what are the riches of predestination? It's our gain. Look in verse 11. What we get, we've obtained an inheritance. Now, how does this come about? This inheritance that we've obtained. It comes about because we have been predestined according to the purpose. Remember the intelligent, wise plan of God who does what? Who works? What is that? That's divine power. His divine power is at work according to his purpose. And what is it as a result? Everything is according to the counsel of his will. We need to camp on this verse for at least 15 seconds and just grab hold of this. All things happen according to the counsel of his will. Some people are misdirected in their understanding of how the world works. And they think that there's God's will and there's man's will. No, it all works according to the counsel of his will. When we see Jesus, see, in our lives right now, it, it, it reminds me of one of Pat Rucker's quilts. You know, she could bring all those pieces and say, Pastor, I've already cut all these out. Make a quilt. I'd be like turning pieces of material. I'd, you know why? Because our lives are like that. We have like one piece. Like, okay, this is my life. And we don't understand. And we're like, it does, it's not going well. There's all, kind of, all kinds of bad things are happening. Why is my piece of quilt this way? But when we see Jesus, we'll see how all the pieces have come together. All according to the counsel of his will. God works according to his own counsel. He doesn't work according to outside information. God doesn't look down through history and get information from what decision you're going to make and then determine what he's going to do. Are you kidding me? What kind of God is that? One that's looking for human advice? Waiting for human action before he can act? Are you kidding? God is never passive. He's pure act. And all of his act, all of his activity is from himself. No outside information, no nothing. All according to himself. What about those places in the Bible where it says, well, God saw this and then he did that. He's speaking in an anthropomorphic way. He's explaining to us in the only way that time-bound humans could possibly even get it. But let me just drop something on you. God is love. That's entirely true. 
but it doesn't say reality. God is more than that. We just don't have any of the words. Every word in the Bible is true because it's written to man so that we can understand according to where we are, according to humans. But God has chosen to use human words. And they're all analogous. It's an analogy. Everything is analogy in that way. It's like God is love. If we'd say about someone that they're a loving person, it's like that, but more. In an unexplainable, indefinable way. We say God is wise. It's true. Because wise is the only word we have for that. But God is wise in an unexplainable, indefinable, unfathomable way. He's beyond it. So don't think for a moment you've got God captured. You don't. He's beyond. He condescends to give us a glimpse of himself. But we can't look fully upon his glory. We can't stand it. We could not comprehend it. We could not take it in. And so he uses the veil of human language so that we get a glimpse of it. God has predestined us in Christ and the riches of predestination is that God is the one who has done it according to the counsel of his own will. Not according to your merit. Yes, thank you, God. Not according to him looking down through time like he's, you know, got some kind of fortune teller and figuring out what you're going to do and then responding to that. Man, you need to get off the throne and get on your knees before God. That's the point of this. What do we have as an inheritance? You have redemption. That's no small thing. God paid a price for you that you couldn't pay for yourself. We have forgiveness. We've done the unforgivable. We've committed the unforgivable. But God has forgiven us on the grounds of Christ having died in our place. We have a united relationship with God. Be reconciled to God. We've been reconciled. We have Christ's intercession for us at all times. We have spiritual illumination. We have the fellowship of the saints. And we have heaven as well. We have a pretty good inheritance. Sometimes people talk about, you know, heaven, streets of gold, and so on and so forth. I mean, those are sights to behold for sure. But it's not greater than knowing I'm redeemed. It's not greater than knowing I'm forgiven. I'll take heaven on dusty roads if that's what it takes to be redeemed and be forgiven. I'm not looking to get wealthy. I'm looking to be accepted by God. That's my wealth. That's my riches. Anything else is just glory. The riches of predestination is our gain as Christians. The result of predestination is His glory. And, and it tells us, verse 12, this is not hard to figure out. You just need a preacher to slow you down and make you read it. All I do is just tell you what you already or, or can see right here, right? That's all I do. This, what a job I have, right? Telling people what they already know. This is great. Verse 12, so that. You see, so that. You see those words. Whenever you see that, you've you got to ask yourself, what are those, what are those two words there for? And, and what they mean is it's telling us the purpose or the result. So God has a purpose with the result here. And so what is the result? So that. 
We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. I've had this thing going on. Pastor Dan, um, the last three Sundays, I believe, in preaching, we've had this phrase, to the praise of his glory. And I kept thinking, Pastor Dan's going to break that song out on us one of these days soon. And uh, just goes to show, the pastor can never guess the mind of the worship guy. Just goes to show. So, brother, thank you for that music today, man. It's, it's special. Praise the Lord for that. Um, to the praise of his glory. So what is Paul saying here? Who, who are the first to believe? Who are the first to hope in Christ? Well, it's the, the, the Jews. They're the first to hope. Now, it's not all Jews. You don't get a free pass just because you are biologically related to Abraham. Right? You don't get a free pass. So you need to stop that theology because it's just plain wrong. What do you think is the point? We, we studied this morning in the book of Hebrews. What do you think is the point? That there were those among the Jews who hoped in Christ. Why did Moses reject the riches of Egypt? Because of Christ. Why did Abraham reject becoming the, the king of Israel, which he could have easily been? Why? Why did, he just, why did he continue to live in a tent and never even build a house on the property? Because his hope is not in a piece of dirt on this earth. He was looking for a better city whose builder and maker is God. What about the prophets who wrote? Searching what? What manner of time? The spirit of Christ who was in them, the Bible says. No one trying to figure out what is it? They were hoping for the Messiah hoping for him so they were the first to hope in Christ but we're not left out because he goes on to this in verse 13 and says in him you also that's all of us see the Ephesians you got a lot of Gentiles in this group he says you also how are you included in him so the purpose and result is is this the first to hope meaning those first Jews who believed in Christ they were to the praise of his glory, to choose you, to predestine you. And get this now, think, here, here's what I'm trying to get for you here. Here's what, here's what we're trying to obtain from the scripture. We're not trying to obtain a, a bunch of complicated words. And we're not trying to unravel all the mysteries of, of, of election and predestination and all of those things. We're, we're not trying to unravel all of that. It's, it, it's, that's a big ball of yarn I can't unravel. We'll be here the rest of our lives and still not unravel that. That's not what we're trying to do here. Here's what we are doing. We're telling us ourselves what the scripture says. And the scripture is reminding us that God is the actor. That God is the one who takes the activity. God is the one who has a plan. And it is according to the purpose of his will. Not according to our purpose. Not according to our will. It's according to the purpose of his will. And this plan involves election. Choosing from out of the mass of corrupted, depraved humanity those whom he would call to himself. And calling is always effectual. When God calls, you will believe. Not because he forces you, but because he gives you the ability to want to. And having called you, then you realize you've been predestined to this. Your destiny is not determined by fate. Your destiny is not determined by karma. Your destiny is not determined by the circumstances in which you were born. Your destiny is determined according to the counsel of His will. 
Now, what does that do for you? How does that help you? Does it help us at all? Well, of course it does. If God would choose you, and God would predestine you, then to let you perish would not be to the praise of His glory. Do you see? Why is it that God is not going to let you now fall off the edge of the cliff? Because it wouldn't be to the praise of His glory. As a matter of fact, it would be a shame upon God. That He could not save a sinner and keep him. That would defame God. Your assurance is not in the depth of your faith. Your assurance is in the stability and undeniable and unchangeable purpose of God. God has done this for you, dear Christian. He's done it for you to the praise of His glory. Now, God's possession in Christ. So we're, we're unraveling a little bit the, the mystery of His will. Not that we understand the whys, but we understand a little bit of the how. We have God's plan in Christ. That's what He has done. And now how does He get us into it? He has predestined us to be in that plan. He's predestined us to have obtained the inheritance, to trust in Christ. So you are fulfilling your destiny when you've trusted in Christ. Well, Pastor, I don't know. How do you know who's been predestined and how do you know who's been chosen? Just listen to me just a minute. Why don't you repent and believe in Jesus and stop that? Just, just repent of your sinfulness and trust in Christ. See, here's the issue. People that start all that, you know what the problem is? They're not willing to repent and believe. So really it comes back on you. You're the one that will not repent of your sinfulness and trust in Christ. That's the issue. Oh, you mean God chooses some and not others? Why don't you repent and believe and see what happens? Why don't you just do that? Quit, quit throwing this off on God. What about you? Well, I don't know if I can. Of course you can't. But why don't you do it anyway? That makes no sense. If you'll repent and believe on Jesus today, you'll be saved. And be one of the chosen of God. Now, God's possession in Christ. Look, look at this. Verses 13 and 14. I want to give you as Christians, I want to give you a little bit of hope here, okay? So in Him you also. Okay, that's, that's us. When you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Well, there we go again. Here's God's possession. We are sealed with the Spirit of promise. In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The issue here, the idea here, the, the, the metaphor, the symbol that we're looking at is that God has put his stamp upon you. The Holy Spirit is like the days when the king would have a ring and that ring carried his insignia. And when he would send a, a letter, he would roll that thing up, put the wax there where it seals the letter and then take his ring and impress his mark upon it. That mark meant authority. That mark meant validity. That mark meant ownership. 
It's mine. And when you have come to Christ, God has put his seal upon you. What is that mark that you're looking for? What is? It's the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ in you. You. Now, when did this happen? In time, here's when it happens. Do you see what, what's going on in this first chapter? God's talking about eternity past. He's talking about before there was time. So you can't even explain which came first or anything because there's no first, second, or third in eternity. But then he brings it down to earth. And here he's saying at a point in time, Christ comes into the world to manifest the mystery of my will that everything's going to be united in him. And those who are united in him by faith in Christ, how how do they get there? Verse 13 tells us this. How do they get there? You heard the word of truth. That is the scripture. You've heard the gospel. And it explains it. The gospel of your salvation. Now it's not enough to hear it. It's not enough just to believe the gospel itself. But you're believing in him. In Christ. The gospel leads you to put your faith in a person. Jesus himself is the gospel. He's the good news. And so you believe in him. It doesn't, it doesn't say believe about him. It doesn't say that you have to collect a volume of information. Once you've mastered that and scored at least 85% on a test that we give you, then you're in. It doesn't say that. You're putting your confidence. You're relying on him now. Relying on him in what way? That his death on the cross in your place was for your sin and God took it as his wrath directed at you. And Christ drained the wrath of God. The whole cup was poured out on him. He took it all. And so here we have him doing that in our place and we believe it. We believe he's the son of God. We, we believe he's actually deity and divine. We look at his works that he did and we say he's got to be more than man. He's more than that. So we have God on the cross dying in our place. And to verify it all. To start the day of judgment. The day of the Lord. We see the resurrection of Christ. And now we're living in the era of the day of the Lord. And judgment is coming upon this earth. But judgment has already fallen for us. It fell on Him. And so when we believe on Him in that way, the Bible says we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Bam! Stamp of approval by God. And there is no one that can undo the seal of the King. No one. It's a permanent mark. Now you say, how do I know if I'm saved? Here's the simple answer. The Holy Spirit. Wow, how do you measure that? Well, we have all kinds of people in Christianity trying to give wild evidences so that they can somehow measure, you know. But no, the book of Galatians is very clear. There's a difference in life. It's a, it's a difference between all the things mentioned about the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. And when the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life, it's evidence that He's working. You've been sealed by Him. Because the information contained in the scroll now is different from that which was in it before. When it was sealed by the seal of Satan, there was different stuff in here. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. There's a life of Christ in here. Oh, sure, this is it's a flawed vessel. I mean, Jesus sure could have picked a better can to put such a great thing in than me. Of course he could. 
But it's the, it's the evidence. We're sealed. And then look at this. Here, here it is, Christian. Who is the guarantee? Verse 14. Who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? We are secured by the spirit of promise. He's the guarantee. The word guarantee there is earnest money. God is already invested. The Holy Spirit of God in you is like the earnest money. Meaning what? I promise to pay the balance when it comes due. When it's time, I'll pay it. It's promised. It's done. God's serious about this matter. He's serious about bringing you home to glory. He's serious about it. He's guaranteeing it. He's guaranteed that when you trust upon Christ, He seals you with the spirit of promise. And you're secured by that same spirit. It's a guarantee from God. This is what God is trying to say to us. Because he's the author of it, not just in principle, but in application. God is the one who predestines. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who provides faith. God is the one who's provided the sacrifice. God is the one who's provided the resurrection. God is the one who's provided the message. God is the one who's provided the preachers. God is the one who's provided every single thing that there has to do with salvation. You bring nothing. You're a beggar. You come with nothing but dirt and rags to God. That's all you have. You add nothing. Zero. As far as salvation is concerned, you're absolutely worthless. Preach your harsh words. Read the book of Romans. We have nothing, nothing, nothing to give to Him. It's all of Him. And that's why I know it works. If it depended upon me in any way, I mean even a fragment, it would surely fail. If you can lose your salvation, mine is gone. I mean, because, I mean if perfect righteousness is required to gain it, which we would all agree, and that righteousness is through Christ, then I would assume that perfect righteousness is necessary to keep it. Wouldn't you? I mean, I don't think God would change his standard all of a sudden. So that thing of stepping in and out of Christ based upon human free will is just craziness. I, I, would, I would be laying awake at night all the time. You can't. The, the, the point here is the Bible is telling us that God is the one. He makes it known. He's the one that, pre he, everything is according to his purpose, according to his plan. He's the one. Why? So that he gets the credit. So, well, that's awful selfish of God. No, it's not selfish. He's the only one that deserves it. Why would he allow credit to go to beings that don't deserve it? Who do you want to get credit? The angels? Oh, no, no, we don't want that. We want ourselves to get credit. I forget. That's not how this works. So, if you're in Christ today, you're following him. However shakily that you're doing that. However flawed, in what flawed way that you're doing that. And you're stumbling along after Christ. Keep on stumbling along. Just keep going in that direction. You say, Pastor, you don't know how many face plants I've done trying to follow Christ. Good. That's good. It'll heal. Get up. Keep on following. Because you belong to Him. What do you do with this? What, what do we do? If you are here without Christ, here's what you do. Hear the word of truth. Listen. Stop talking and listen. 
Hear it. Put your cell phone in the other room. Turn the television off. Lock the kids out of the house. I don't care what you got to do. Hear it. Hear this. What has Christ done for sinners? The gospel. What is it? Find out. And then put your faith in Christ alone. Nothing else. And you'll be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's how it works. Now, if you're here today, you've never started that. Let us help you. We can't save you. Okay, the church can't save anybody. But we can point you to the one who does. We're just a gathering of people that somehow, by God's grace, stumbled onto some gold. And all we're trying to say to you is, we know where it is. Do you want some? We're these people that through no fault of our own, no effort of our own, no intention of our own, stumbled into heaven. And we just want to say to you, we know where the door is. And, and so that's all we're saying to you. We're not saying we're better people. I think if I were to conglomerate the list of sins that we have represented here just even today, we would not be finished reading them by the time supper rolled around. So we're not here presenting ourselves as your mediator. We're not here presenting ourselves as your righteousness. We're here to say to you, we know one who's been righteous for you. That's what we're saying to you. It's a great thing. It's the best thing. It's the best deal going. We want you to have it. Stop depending on yourself. Stop looking to yourself. Stop looking inward as a means to get to God and start looking upward. Look up to that cross. Look up to Calvary's hill where a Savior died for you. Look at that empty tomb where He rose again. Look on high where He's seated at the right hand of God. There is your salvation. There is the one who can save you. Come to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you and praise you that you have given to us the message of the gospel. Now, Lord, I pray that you would cause those who are without Christ to repent and believe by their own free will. Would you work in their hearts and lives in Jesus' name? Amen.